It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Yes, I am. Guilty as charged. It's a numbers game right here at Visa, the sports betting network, just like the band said. Visa.com, the Visa app, Fubo, Slate, Game Plus, and iHeartRadio. It is Gil Alexander. Good morning to you. Jason Kahn is here as well. Jason. Good morning to you. Camera on Jason. Ladies, soak it in. It's all happening. There you go, Jason. Let's get you some uh, let's get you some play right there. You looking for play? You looking for play, Jason? Summer's here. <laughs> I'm vaccinated. Summer's here. And summer's here. I don't know what that means. Vaxxed and relaxed. Jason Kahn, everybody, uh, on the show today. And we'll have more shots of Jason, ladies. Uh, Paul Carr on uh, Champions League. Another winner for Paulie yesterday on Man City. He just rolls along. Rolls along. Hey, by the way, he was the he was the my savior yesterday because I missed my uh, my baseball play tennis uh, parlay didn't get there. Brady Cannon will be here to talk about the uh, Wells Fargo Championships golf. Jason Weingarten from Under a Cloud of Smoke talking baseball with us. He's got some thoughts on NL Cy Young and AL MVP. Some bets you can make right about now that he says are good. Uh, Josh Towers. No, don't Josh. Uh, we'll talk to the uh, former major leaguer about baseball as well. And Dan Weston will join us momentarily to talk tennis. Uh, so what do we got here? Tennis, golf, soccer, baseball. It's a good little show for early May. And let me just say this about tennis. Uh, tennis, one of the most popular bet sports in all the globe. But apparently in this country, uh, we still don't get it with tennis. Um, I'm going to go as far as saying if I have one bet to make on any sport on any given day, I would go to Dan Weston and say, give me a tennis bet. That's how much I love Dan Weston. We'll talk to him uh, momentarily. Uh, first, though, last night, and I don't know if you caught this, Jason, we're doing primetime action. This is happening right before our eyes. Matt Brown, Daniel Alvari, Kelly Bidlin, and I. Um, I would go as far as to say you could make a case this is the worst beat. Here's the thing. It, it might be the worst beat in the history of the NBA. Seriously, it might be. I'm sure there's some shenanigans that happen at the end of some game that would, that would you know, be a good counter-argument. But just in terms of the mechanics, this could be argued as the worst beat in the history of the NBA. Cleveland, for those who missed it, Cleveland and Phoenix. Um, Phoenix, pre-flop, 12.5-point favorite. But Cleveland plays them tough at home, and it's 114 to 114 at the end of regulation. Devin Booker misses a three at the buzzer. So 114-114, 12.5, you know, pre-flop favorite on the visiting Suns. As has been said before many times, under overtime where where underdogs go to die. But at 12 and a half, we didn't even invoke that because we're like, okay, well, it's 12 and a half. They're still, I mean, the Cavaliers at the worst, they're still gonna cover. By the way, Cavaliers were plus six fifty on the money line. So anybody who happened to bet the Cavaliers on the money line, and I'm not sure who would, by the way, bet the Cavaliers on the money line going to that game. But certainly a lot of people had plus twelve and a half. And you're like, okay, I'm good. Well, you know what happens next. The Suns absolutely destroy, destroy the Cavaliers in overtime. 20-4. to four. I believe they, they scored the first 16 points of overtime. I believe that was the case. And they hold on for a 16-point win, 134-118. to 118. Not only do they cover the spread, but as this was happening, I was saying to Kelly Bidlin, I was like, could you check for me what the biggest margin of victory in an NBA overtime is in the history of the NBA. And so we did. And what we came up with was this was a tie for the second biggest win in overtime history. There was a 17-point margin of victory. And you remember this day, Jason. January 22nd, 1980 and 3. 
Portland at Houston, um, a 17 to nothing overtime by the Portland Trailblazers to beat the Rockets. That was the Rockets in we stink so bad we're going to tank. And in those days, it was true tanking before the NBA figured out what tanking was. We're going to tank to get Ralph Sampson. We're going to tank to get Akeem Olajuwon. That was that version of the Rockets. But Portland beat them or outscored them 17 to nothing in overtime. That remains, that 17-point margin of victory, the biggest point margin, the greatest point margin with which any NBA game has ever ended in overtime. Last night flirted with it, 16, and the Suns cover in the process. If you had the Cavaliers plus 12.5 last night, that is brutality, as bad as it gets. Suns 134, Cavaliers 118, and it uh, takes the Suns one step closer to uh, a Pacific Division title for sure, which is all but a, I don't want to say a lot, because a lot of people have that ticket and I don't want to jinx it, but as close to it as it gets here, as we come to the end of the NBA season, and more importantly, perhaps for them, closer to a one seed, if that kind of thing matters to them, which is always a question. It's Gil Alexander. It is a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, VEASAN.com, the VEASAN app, Fubo, Sling, and Game Plus, and of course, iHeartRadio. Let's bring him in from England, just outside of London. It's Dan Weston. How you doing, Dan? Yeah, I'm good, Gil. How are you? Doing very well. At Tennis Ratings is where Dan can be found. TennisRatings.co.uk. And, of course, I have you on the show, Dan, to ask you, what did you think about the NFL draft? No, I'm kidding. I don't want to know. <laughs> By the way, are you are you even aware of, of things that happen beyond tennis at this point? Yeah, yeah, I am, but not not really, like, you know, the American special No, of course sports, not. Like no. NFL or NBA or baseball. I was just messing with you. Let me ask you before we <laughs> – let's start with so we can get this out of the way first. What's your favorite play today in Madrid, either on the men's or the ladies' side? Yeah, well, my favorite one actually lost. It was uh, Diego Schwartzman against Aslan Karatsev. Um, so Schwartzman was actually a set and break up early in the second set in that and then just just uh, went nowhere after that. Oh. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the one I liked. But primarily because I think the Karatsev is a little bit overrated. I mean, I think we, even though that, that, that's been and gone, we can talk a bit about the, the broad dynamic of Karatsev right now. I don't know if, if your listeners uh, maybe have, have heard a lot about him, but this is a guy who's basically just been a journeyman for the vast majority of his career. He's 27 and a half years old, roughly. Um, he spent 27 years of it on the Challenger Tour and barely broke the top 200, really, most of the time. And uh, then suddenly this year, he's just exploded and he's become the, the breakthrough player of the year, no doubt about that. Uh, kind of this incredible career turnaround that you don't ever really see. And he's won a ballpark 80% of his matches this year. But his underlying data is not amazing, which makes me think that he's quite overvalued by the markets at the moment. You know, the market's going to love a bit of momentum in particular, given given his run of results right now. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be against carrots a reasonable amount in, in the, in the not-too-distant future. Let me ask you about that. Let me drill down on that because it applies to other sports as well. So uh, Dan is talking about Aslan Karatsev, uh, an Israeli-born, excuse me, a Russian-born, Israeli-raised player who... And we never see this in tennis, right, Dan? That's the thing. We'll see it in yeah. other sports where someone, you know, comes into their own later in their career. 
Um, but we don't. We never see this in tennis. And so you have this guy, Aslan Karatsev, total journeyman, got to the semis of the Australian Open this year, which was just, I was on vacation at the time, but it was just this unbelievable thing where you're like, I got to bet this guy. I don't care what his numbers say. What, at what point, because I asked this of, of our hockey guy, I asked this of, of a baseball guy yesterday, same thing on this show. At what point do you you look at your numbers and you and I know you have fealty to them, and they've they've treated you well, and they've gotten you to big profits over time. But when a guy like Karatsev comes around, at what point do you stop banging your head against the wall and just say, "I, I can't, I can't make a recommendation on this guy. I can't bet against him anymore." Yeah, that, that that's such a good question. Um, at the moment, I mean, generally, I look a little bit longer term than this for players. Uh, I uh, I look at usually that twelve months data if I can, but that's been been rather complicated if you're looking at it by surface because of the COVID uh, kind of this you know the troubles from last year with a lot of a lot of clay matches in particular and grass matches not being played so so that's that's a difficult process in itself with Karatsev right now I, I mean I'm looking at his numbers just in 2021 in isolation so if you look at his breakthrough numbers that's what I'm discussing you know the 80 percent and and um, yeah it's good underlying day don't get me wrong it's ballpark like top uh, I want to say top 10 to 15 level, I would say. But he's fifth in the race to London right now. So that means he's accumulated, yeah, fifth most ranking points on tour this year. Uh, and, you know, that's that's probably a little bit above the level that I think he's at right now. And I think the markets are pricing him as he's like a world number five, but they're not necessarily, he's not necessarily at that level. I, I probably have him like a 10 to 12 kind of player at the moment. Anything on Sinner or Bautista Good today? Anything else that you like? Yeah, not really. The, the 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 one obvious line it's not it's, there's not really any value in it though, is that, that tie break market in the Isna Bautista Vu game. Yes. Uh, because Madrid's got quick conditions, uh Isna's gonna be pretty tough to break. But there's no value there really. I, I have no breaks in the first set around a thirty six percent chance. So you're looking at about ballpark forty percent for a tie break first set. But that's very, very similar to market lines. I think you might be able to get 13 to 8, which is 2.63 in decimals uh, for that, which is the best you'll ever find. And that's a tiny, tiny, tiny edge if, if, if that's the case. It's not worth worth worrying about. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of all gone right now. Um, yeah, no, but, yeah. That's, a, that's a valid yeah. answer. But, but I, think, I think you're right. I think it's no breaks first set. I, I do think Bautista Good probably emerges victorious. You may want to mm-hmm. look at an over total in that. I mean, all of those are possibilities in that match, but uh, you're right. Nothing, uh, nothing leaping off the page. I, he, let me go to, by the way, you said something about decimals, and I want to get this. This gives us an opportunity because you and I never get to just sort of stop and, and address the American better because when we yeah. talk in decimals, it's like a foreign language to us. And so I'll try to sort of in, in 20 seconds here. So decimal odds, when Dan quotes them, um, I'll do my best to convert them into American odds, but if, but if I don't, and I might not, so forgive me in advance, decimal odds represent the, the total return for every dollar wagered, including the money you risked. So our American money line uh, standard is minus 110. That's 1.91 in decimal odds, and the reason for that is if you're wagering a dollar at minus 110, you'll get back 91 cents. So you add the dollar and the 91 cents, and it's 1.91. So everything below a two in our American translation is a favorite. Anything above a two is an underdog because if something appears as, say, 3.00, what that is is a dollar wagered at plus 200. So 3.00 is actually plus 200 for us. 
Does that make sense? That's a sort of a, a quick sort of translation of that. Anyway, I just wanted to take two seconds because we don't usually get a chance to do that, Dan. Um, let me ask you then, uh, last thing on this, and then we'll get to the majors here because I want to get your thoughts, your preliminary thoughts on the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. Um, Barty played Sviatek on clay the other day. Barty, by the way, advancing to the semis this morning, um, beating Petra Kvitova. They played for the first time ever. Barty, the last two French Open champions, Barty in 2019, Sviatek famously in 2020. Uh, Barty won in, two, in straight sets. Do you view that match in any way, perhaps like watching the Nadal and Djokovic playing on clay for the first time? Um, it's really tough because with this, these particular conditions in Madrid being so fast, I think that that gives quite a bit of an edge to Barty the conditions will give quite a to Barty that she won't have in Roland Garros, for example. And, and, I, and I wrote in the Betfair previews that I did earlier in the week that I would be quite cautious about reading too much into performances in Madrid in isolation because the conditions are just so markedly different to what we're going to find in a, in a general clay court. This is the fastest clay court of the tour this week. And, and this helps serve orientated players and I think it's pretty fair to say that Barty falls into that bracket and, and Suarte less so. So, I mean, what what we want now to see, I think Barty was a marginal favourite in that match. Based on clay data only, I have Suarte as a favourite, but what we now want to see is like, say they matched up in like the semi-finals or the final of the French Open, the market takes into account that Barty beats Sviatek in Madrid when, the, when that would actually have, in my opinion, very little relevance on that particular matchup in the French Open. Might present a good opportunity to bet Sviatek that day is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so French, so let's go for the final three majors then of the season. French on the ladies' side, since we start there, uh, have you made any bets, and should I in any way or any of us be swayed at all from betting on Igas Fiatek at what now is not nearly what it was last year, right? 33-1 to 1 average yeah. last year. But we're talking about 5-1 to 1 this year. Yeah, but, but she looks the best the best clay quarter on tour, I think, numbers-wise. She's, before the party match, I had her at 125% combined uh, hold and break percentage, which is just massive. I mean, that's like Nadal Djokovic numbers on the men's. Um, so I think that that's kind of justified. Obviously, what we kind of want to see is a bit of a reaction. Maybe she loses like another warm-up match or something like that, and then we might get get it get it eased a bit. Uh, but for me, she looks the player to beat. Actually, um, uh, it's interesting to see that that despite Barty being favourite over her in Madrid, Sviatek is marginally shorter in the outright market for the French Open as well. So, so that's worth noting. Um, and then with the with the with the women's tournament, the French Open, I think it's, a lot of it's kind of it's, as we always say, they, a lot of players can beat be each other. Yes. So there's 20 players who will go into this with with the legitimate expectation of reaching say quarterfinals plus. Um, there's certainly some players in the draw that I would probably look to draw a line through in terms of the outright market. So players like Sophia Kennan, who's who's struggled of late and hasn't really got the best clay record anyway. Um, 
and a couple of others like Azarenka was never good in the old days on clay, so I don't know why people might think that she's going to be a threat this year, just even though she's kind of come back well on hard courts. Kiki Burton's had a lot of injuries. Jennifer Brady's got no hard court pedigree. These are players who kind of like they're always usually in the top twenty or so of the markets in 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 Grand Slams, and I think that the, the, they're going to really struggle in, in this particular tournament. So uh, I think for me, what I'm going to probably be doing is looking at some of the longer price players, some of the younger players who can probably cause a surprise in this tournament, someone who's got a lot of upside, a lot of, uh, uh, sort of good underlying data that we can we can look to try and get to, say, a winner quarter or something like that. Um, and that's, that's probably the best strategy in the women's, I think. Uh, in the men's, I mean, it's all very draw-dependent. Uh, Rafa, marginally odds-on. And, and that, again, shows the difference in the conditions that you're going to be expecting in Paris for the French Open and, and what we have this week in Madrid. So in Madrid this week, he's about 2.5-ish to win the tournament. And in the French Open, he's 1.95, so he's odds-on. So he's taking over 50% of the, the outright market, just him, just himself. Um, so the market is clear that Nadal's got more chance of winning in Paris than he does this week in Madrid, and I think that makes a lot of sense anyway. Would you recommend, because people are going to see a minus number in front of Nadal still, who's going for his 14th, yeah. 14th is what he's going for, French Open Championship. Um, they're going to see him as a slight favorite. Would you still recommend a bet on him? Oh, that's a tough one, Gil. Um, yeah, I mean, if he wins in Madrid, then I think he's going to be ridiculously tough to beat in, in, in Paris in conditions, which are going to suit him a lot more. Um He's, a, he's got, well, I say, a mediocre record in Madrid. I think he's won four out of the last ten tournaments there, which is not mediocre at all, but mediocre for him compared to some of the other clay tournaments that he plays in, you know, like uh, Monte Carlo or, or French, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, Djokovic doesn't really seem in great shape at the moment. Uh, teams had a knee injury. Tsitsipas could be his his biggest rival, and, and he's marginally bigger in the outright markets than Djokovic and team right now. I made a bet on Berrettini at one hundred twenty-five to one, yeah. just for just for That's giggles. Yeah, you can already hedge that for less as well because he yeah. won. Uh, was it was it Stuttgart that he won a couple of weeks ago? I can't remember exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember. Yeah, one of, one of the warm up, one of the warm up tournaments over over Karatsev, I believe, in a uh, a seven yeah. bagel tiebreaker in the third set, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, if you think he's going to come back, you can get hundred to one on Roger Federer at the moment as well. <laughs> not his surface, everybody. Not his surface, so, even if he comes so, back. All right, so yeah. N- Nadal, I mean, to me, you know, if you make a bet, you make it now on him. Um, I and, and then we were showing Sviatek on screen, but you were saying you, you believe Barty is the justified favorite there. No, 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 no. Oh. I think that Sviatek is justified. You do? Below her and, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I, I actually think Sviatek is the player to beat in, in, in the French Open. I am, as you know, Dan, I am 1,000% with you, famously, yes. Uh, so Sviatek, I mean, if, if Nadal is the king of clay, I think we're looking at a player who could win many, many French Opens on the ladies' side at Igas Sviatek, especially, as Dan said, given the pace of that surface at Roland Garros, or as we like to call it now affectionately, Dan, Poland Garros, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then real quick, the, the very early Wimbledon and U.S. Open thoughts, uh, as as dominant as Fiatek is on clay or or might be on clay, uh, certainly she has shown that. Is there any reason to believe that Naomi Osaka's hard court dominance can't translate to the grass of Wimbledon? 
Yeah, I would imagine so. The, the quicker conditions should suit her. And, and grass is just going to be absolutely horrible to try and price up at the start <laughs> of the season. Yes. We've got no the grass data from last year, and it, there's not much grass data anyway because it's the shortest surface season on tour each year. So, I mean, I need to really get my head around how how on earth I'm going to do that in terms of accumulating data for grass and how how long a time span I want to look at various adjustment factors and stuff it's not going to be fun it's going to be pretty time consuming and and i think a very very inexact science so uh yeah it's very honest i think yeah yeah it's very honest clay is is already art you know a a bit of an art itself because with some of these players you you have to use 24 month data with others 12 month data it's because they you just don't have enough sample size there grass will be that much more difficult and then last thing you know, and, and we'll get to the U.S. Open another time. But but with Wimbledon, that's it's already difficult enough. Do you you know getting back to the Federer thing? He shows up is he your guy or do you have? I mean, that's another thing. Like you have nothing on him to go on. Wouldn't that be the best story ever if he came back and won Wimbledon after this big absence? Um, I can't see it though. I think it's that's 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 one for the uh, for the for the movies maybe. Maybe um, yes, maybe I, more movie I, script. I, yeah, I just I just can't see someone going in. I mean, how old is he now? About thirty-seven or thirty-eight? I believe so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's actually third favorite. I think so second favorite for Wimbledon right now. Just yeah. check, check the market. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's at that age, going in pretty cold in terms of game time, court time, practice time, um, and having to play potentially seven best of five, five set matches. I just don't see it. Yeah. All right. What so, you, what happens? Maybe he can like win like one of the warm-up brass tournaments where he's beating kind of a load of mediocre players, and then and then you might be able to. Uh, all right. Take and oppose him. Dan, appreciate it. At tennis ratings, we're on the same page. Sviatek, Nadal, justified. My bets are already in on both. I've also got a long shot on Berrettini because I love the price on the men's side for the French coming up later this month. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gil. Take care. Dan Weston, tennisratings.co.uk. We'll come back. We'll look at these NFL props next. The numbers game at Visa, the sports betting network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Numbers game proudly brought to you by BetMGM Nevada with basketball, hockey, and baseball games every week. It's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada, the premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options along with in-game betting, boosted odds, specials, and much more. Just download the BetMGM app today. Stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Uh, it's Gil Alexander. I'm trying to... We get tweets. Let me start here. We get tweets at beating the book. Always appreciate the uh, the feedback here. Primetime Cowboys underscore Cubs one. Can your crack research team get the uh, closing line in that Portland OT win over Houston at 83? Did the Blazers cover? I'm sure they did. We'll try to look for the line. Also, any chance Todd Wishnev was on the Cavs last night? If so, can you please get him on for his thoughts? <laughs> this would be the ultimate mush play. I don't think Todd's betting the NBA, though. So I don't think he was on the Cavaliers last night. 
I was just looking. Uh, let me just look at the stats for the standings for 1983, for 1982-83 season. I was correct. That was the pocket that the Rockets were in post Moses Malone. See what I did there? Post Malone. Um, and before the tanking for Sampson and then Elijah Wan. Their final record that year was 14-68. and 68. It's not very good, in case you're scoring at home. So, yeah, they were, they were probably huge dogs in that game, but I'm sure 17 covered whatever the number was. We'll check on that. Is there any way a database, NBA database, goes back, back that far? Maybe Sports Odds History. I'll give it a yeah. shot. Give it a, I'm going to DM my man Blake at Sports Odds History, see what the story is there. Um, okay, and then because it's a short segment here, we'll do the NFL props. I want to look at passing yards for uh, some of the rookies next year, uh, next segment, and, uh, and then receiving yards because we batted this around on primetime action last night. Uh, we'll do a next segment. But, again, getting back to Dan Weston for a second in these few minutes. Globally, tennis, one of the biggest sports in the world, top five in terms of betting, uh, might even be top three, quite frankly, soccer being number one. Uh, but for whatever reason, it doesn't capture our imagination here in the United States, and that's why I exist. No. Um, so what Dan was saying, everything he was saying, I completely am on board with. To me, again, if you're just showing up for this show for the first time, Rafael Nadal is the king of clay on the men's side. Igis Fiatek is the queen of clay, although she is 19 years old. So the world doesn't quite accept her as that yet, but she's already got one French Open. The conditions of the clay at Roland Garros are perfectly suited for her game. Her forehand speed is that of an elite men's player on that clay surface. So she's the girl to beat once again. Yeah, we hit it at 33 to 1 last year. I played her multiple times at 5 to 1 this year on the clay of Roland Garros. On the men's side, just to go through all my bets then, on the men's side, I did make one bet on Rafael Nadal just because He's going for his 14th French Open title. But the two long shots, two long shot plays I made at the French Open, which starts later this month, uh, and it was delayed one week. It was pushed back one week, but it starts, uh, I think I'm going to be on vacation again. This will be the second straight major I'm going to be on vacation. Uh, but the long shot plays I made, um, I, I played Matteo Berrettini. Um, what did I call him, Marco earlier? I played Matteo Berrettini at 120 to 1. And I played Casper Ruud at 90 to 1 because those numbers were ridiculous. Because I think if you run it 120 times, Berrettini wins it more than once. And I think if you run it more than 90 times, Ruud wins it more than once. Do I expect those to cash? I do not. I expect Nadal to cash. But just in case, I like those numbers. I played those. As far as Wimbledon, uh, on the ladies' side, I played Naomi Osaka to win Wimbledon. Now, those were brick-and-mortar tickets. Those are at home. I believe I got her at somewhere between 8-1 to to 11-1. to I'm not, I cannot remember because I'm getting that one confused with her U.S. Open ticket as well. So, again, that's the, the one thing you have to know about tennis is different players are kings and queens of certain surfaces. And while Sviatek is, is a queen of clay, it immediately shifts over to Osaka when you're talking about hard court obviously winning multiple majors already uh, in the United States and Australia, U.S. Open and Australian Open. There is no reason, and I sort of pose this question to Dan Weston, there is no reason, in my opinion, why that won't be able to translate to grass for Naomi. Now, she has not shown that yet at Wimbledon, but if you can grab her for Wimbledon in July, uh, by all means do so. 
data or a small sample of data, lack of data, be damned at this point because of the uh, the short grass uh, seasons and, of course, coming off a pandemic. But grass is the fastest surface of them all in tennis. And so I am banking on Osaka here later on the season. Those are the bets that I already have in pocket, just to be uh, completely transparent on all that. Maybe I'll add more. Maybe I won't. Uh, we'll come back. We'll do those NFL props next on a numbers game at Vison, the Sports Betting Network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. All right, the DM is into Blake from SportsOddsHistory.com looking for that uh, Blazers-Rockets uh, pre-flop spread back in January of 1983. You know that our Visa experts are covering every sport on the board this spring to find the best bets every day. And now's a great time to invest in your long-term betting success. We provide all the tools you need to make the most informed bet every time, even if that means telling you when not making a bet is your best option. Our 24-7 video coverage, data and analysis on Visa.com, daily members-only best bet emails, and in-depth coverage of every major event and point spread weekly is designed to improve your sports success year-round so that your bankroll lasts longer and you can increase your sports betting IQ. Learn from our experience and put our team to work for you today with our VEASAN 10-day free trial at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. That's VEASAN.com slash subscribe. All right, uh, on primetime action last night, which I don't know if I've mentioned this yet today, Jason, but I do with uh, Matt Brown, Daniel Alfari, and Kelly Bidlin. Never heard of it. <laughs> Drinking game. By the way, shout out to Danielle for hosting My Guys in the Desert this week and doing a bang-up job of it. Seriously, I'm like a proud papa. Great job by Danielle. So she's doing double duty. She's on, of course, with us on primetime action, as per usual. And so we, uh, we kicked these around yesterday. First, the passing yards props. This, to me, is the less bettable of the two between the passing yards props and the receiving yards props. These are courtesy of BetMGM. So Trevor Lawrence set at 4,199 and a half passing yards. I believe that's down from yesterday, from last night. Because I think it was 4,250 or something like that last night, which is exactly what my recommendation was. I, my instinct was, that's high. 4,200 in any season. And here's the thing. There's a 17th game. I get it. The Jaguars could be, as, as Matt pointed out, they could be trailing in a lot of games next year. Both of those things... I acknowledge, but that's a lot of passing yards, period. And just to sort of, just to sort of give you a gauge, the 2020 NFL season last year. Any idea, Jason, who was the uh, who who led the NFL in passing yards last year, and and what the number was? No idea. <laughs> Rookie? Yeah, no, just overall. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, 4,823 yards passing last year. For the Houston Texans, 48 is your leader. Um, you have to be, by the way, to get to 42.50 and now 41.99.5, let's do 41.99.5 because that's where it is. You would have to be in the, according to last year's numbers, you would still have to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL in passing yards. That to me is an under or nothing. Like I just I would I would not go over. By the way, with all these counting stats, you're betting against injury. Zach Wilson, thirty eight hundred and seventy five. My instinct would be to go under on that too. It's under or nothing on both of those with the passing yards. Again, top ten, sort of bottomed out last year in the NFL at forty one hundred and sixty nine. 
So you're asking these guys. You're asking Zach Wilson to basically have a top 10 passing year in the NFL for the Jets. You're asking Trevor Lawrence to do the same for the Jaguars. Yes, a 17th game. Those guys did it last year and won fewer games. But it's still, that's a lot of yards to ask. And again, you're betting against injury. Now, here on the other hand, and here's where I will do the old pivot. Pivot? This is the receiving yards of three rookies drafted in the first round. Uh, Kyle Pitts of the Falcons. Uh, Jalen Waddle, of course, to the Dolphins. And Devontae Smith to the Eagles. Oh, you added two. I didn't see you. I added two guys here. You added uh, Jamar Chase to the Bengals and Kadarius Toney. Um... Of the Giants, these are all based on uh, odds from BetMGM, proud sponsors of this show. By the way, I thought the Giants did a great job trading down. They traded um, with the Bears. Once Once the Eagles and Cowboys did that NFC East sandwich thing on the Giants, because remember, the Cowboys had 10, the Giants had 11, the Eagles had 12. The Eagles traded with the Cowboys to draft Devontae. And then the Giants are like, all right, we'll trade with the Bears. You take your Justin Fields, we'll get Kadarius Tony at 20. It's a nice job by the Giants there. Say what you will about Gettleman, but that was nicely done. So the ones that we bantied about yesterday, and again, these have changed based on the odds we looked at yesterday. Always shop around, because I'm not sure we had BetMGM last night. We might have had DraftKings. That's, it was points bet last night. Too. Oh, points bet last yeah. night. Okay, so that's it. So what we had last night was Kyle Pitts at 750, Devontae at 750, which he is right here. And Jalen Waddle at 725. So Devontae and Jalen Waddle are the same. 749 and a half, 724.5. But Kyle Pitts here is 124 yards greater. So always shop around based on your conviction. So Pitts, Smith, and Waddle, we just sort of threw it around, and I'll tell you what, what Matt and I thought, Matt Brown and I. Matt thought when it was 750, 750, and 725, Pitts, Smith, and Waddle, respectively, his instinct was over on all of them. I don't hate that instinct. If you were asking me which one, we threw around, which one would you go over on more than the others, my instinct was Waddle, his was Smith. Here's the, the, the positive in the net. So what's the knock on Pitts, Smith, and Waddle? Pitts, because you have so many footballs to go around, if Julio Jones remains there. Think about that with Russell Gage. So you got to feed all these guys. Matt Ryan does. So I don't lot, think Julio's going to stay. A lot of footballs to go around as currently constituted. What's the knock on Devontae Smith? Well, the, the, pu- the plus on Devontae Smith is he'll be Jalen Hurts' number one wideout, but he weighs 161 pounds, excuse me, 165. Don't want to sell him short four pounds. I just worry about that dude going over the middle. Is he ultimately going to be Deshaun Jackson 2.0, or is he really going to be their number one wideout doing all kinds of things? So that would be the, the, not, the positive Number one target, that would be the negative. Jalen Waddell, to me, home positive and negative, right? Positive, home run hitter, negative, that's what he's going to do, home run hitter. So for me, it was Jalen Waddell over. For him, it, for Matt, it was Devontae Smith over. Either way, we both like the overs. Here you get Kyle Pitts at 874. So again, a little harder. But just to go through, as we did with passing yards as a gauge from last year, uh, there was only two tight ends that had more than 150 yards passing last year. That was Kelsey and Waller. No surprise. Kittle was hurt, so he couldn't get there. So Kyle Pitts would have to be in that group. One would hope he would be in that group. He was the fourth overall pick in the draft, for goodness sake. Um, but just in terms of receiving yards last year, the entire NFL season, Stefan Diggs led the NFL with 1,535 among rookies. 
Justin Jefferson, who had that outlandishly good rookie year, had 1,400 for the Vikings. Here you're asking Chase to go over 1,100, and the rest of these guys, again, accordingly, for the wideouts anyway, Smith, 750, Jalen Waddle, 724.5, Kadarius only asking 524.5 from him. So unlike the quarterbacks where my instinct was to go under on both Lawrence and Wilson, I guess what I'm saying is, at least on Pitts, Smith, and Waddle, I would agree with the overall sentiment that it's over or nothing. Just because, think about, with the quarterbacks, you got to be in there almost every game. With these guys, I mean, you could miss a few games and still play 14 games. I would hate to have an under ticket. Can you imagine living through an under ticket on those guys, Pitts, Smith, and Waddle? Anyway, just some, some thoughts. Shop around, as we see. At a 125-yard difference with Pitts, specifically. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk some baseball. Josh Towers next on the Numbers Game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Join the sports betting excitement with BetMGM and you can win $100 for a $1 wager on either the Bucks or Wizards to hit a three. Just use bonus code VEASAN100 and get in the ring with the king of sportsbooks so that you can turn game time into showtime. Simply download the app or go to BetMGM.com for more details and use promo code VEASAN100. New customer offer, paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, in Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Promotional offer not available in the state of Nevada. Once again, that is for the Bucks wizards game tonight. Do you have that uh, that stat about Russell Westbrook up by any chance? Um, Russell Westbrook, because the Wizards, I've already proclaimed, you know, we've already said on this show, the proverbial team you do not want to play in the play-in game, uh, or in play-in games, plural. But this is from Tommy Beer. NBA leaders in post-All-Star break assists this year. Russell Westbrook, 386. NBA leaders in post-All-Star break rebounds. Russell Westbrook, 394. Russell Westbrook leads the NBA in both rebounds and assists since the All-Star break, beating Rudy Gobert on the rebound side. And look at the margin on assists over Chris Paul, who's got the second most assists since the break. 386 to 252. Good God. And again, my buddy who uh, my buddy who plays fantasy basketball a month or six weeks ago, he's like, hey, should I trade a... Dame Lillard straight up for Russell Westbrook. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. <laughs> and he didn't do it. He's killing himself every day. It's like, don't ask me for fantasy advice. Russell Westbrook is absolutely killing it. So that MGM promotion for the Bucks Wizards tonight. Bucks on a back to back. The Wizards um, trying to stay in that play in situation. Uh, Bucks only four point favorites in that game. Only four point favorites. Again, back to back. That has a lot to do with it, but some respect for the Wiz. Um, let me also just uh, put a bow on some of the other things we talked about. One, just to clarify, so I'm, uh, I'd go under on Lawrence and Wilson with the passing yards, 
over with Waddles, my favorite of the of the Pitts, Devonte, Waddle trio. But Chase at eleven hundred is an under because again, Justin Jefferson had fourteen hundred yards last year in an out of this world rookie campaign. You just can't expect, even with the extra game, even with an extra game, you just can't expect Jamar Chase to go over 1,100. If he beats you on that, tip of the cap. But as you pointed out off air, too, uh, Jason, not only with all these counting stats are you betting against injuries, you're also betting against injuries of your teammates. So you got to hope Joe Burrow stays upright as well. And you got T. Higgins, T. Higgins to feed the ball to as well. Uh, Blake from uh, Sports Odds History got back to me. For those wondering, last night, in case you missed it, I'm arguing one of the worst beats, if not the worst beat in the history of the NBA. Mechanically speaking, Cleveland Cavaliers, 12.5-point dogs, lose in overtime by 16. Brutality for Cavaliers betters. It's also, because we asked this live on primetime while it was happening last night, it's also the second biggest margin of victory, tied for the second biggest margin of history, in overtime in NBA history. Suns winning by 16 in one overtime period. Again, the record, 17 points. Portland beating Houston by 17, 17 to nothing overtime back in January of 1983, January 22nd, 1983. They won at 113 to 96 after going in overtime tied at 96. One of the worst teams ever, those Houston Rockets who won 14 games that entire 82-game campaign. So we asked uh, Blake... 20 minutes ago from Sports History, what was the pre-flop bet? Actually, we got a tweet of uh, primetime. Uh, what was that? What was it primetime? I'll get that name right. That would be coincidental if it was primetime. Uh, yeah, primetime. Cowboys underscore Cubs. Uh, can, you, can you find out what the pre-flop number was on that Blazers-Rockets game back in 83? And the answer was? Any guesses, Jason? All it was was six and a half. Six and a half. So not nearly as big as this one was. I think we had a nine and a half like a week or a week ago. The Celtics were like nine and a half point favorites. Went to overtime and covered. Twelve and a half. Whew. Epic last night. Uh, let's talk some baseball. Let's bring him in. Uh, he is a VC host, a former major leaguer who played for not only the Yankees, not only the Orioles, but also the Toronto Blue Jays. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Josh Towers. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing very well. Let me ask you about something yesterday. So the Dodgers... Um, lose the opener to the Cubs. By the way, they got swept yesterday. The Dodgers are seventeen and fourteen, which is just amazing to think about where they were a couple weeks ago. But the first game was played Kershaw. He got beat up early, and Dave Roberts took him out after thirty-nine pitches. And so, as a former major league pitcher, this is one of the things I always want to know as a better and just your your average Joe here. Do those early starts, anything that takes you off your routine, do they mess with a pitcher oftentimes? And so a start like that with Kershaw, is it nothing, do you write that off as nothing more than that, just a, a break of routine? Um, There are times, especially weather. I mean, I, I, I know that rain would always bother me. Like, we're very time-oriented. So if I got pushed back because of rain or something like an hour, it, it just throws you off. I'm like... All kinds of things. You don't know exactly when the game's going to start. So when you start your stretch and then the whole eating aspect of having enough energy. So there are things that can. I mean, I knew guys that it really, really altered their mood if, if things happened. But other guys just rolled with it. 
Uh, day games, not so much. I mean, yeah, some of us like to sleep in a little more or you have a better nighttime routine than a daytime routine. But there are it is something about waking up in the morning and kind of being tired, but then you channel this this like secondary energy that's kind of neat. I think Clayton just had a bad game. I was kind of actually on one hand, I was surprised that with thirty nine pitches they took him out. But on the other hand, I mean, there's a lot of organizations, especially in the minor leagues, that if we get to like thirty five an inning, you're out regardless. So depending on how many pitches Clayton throws in his bullpen, I mean, he probably was close to exceeding that at that at that number. And with the long season, I was like, ah, oh, it's actually probably a pretty smart move taking Clayton out. Um, and then I read about it. I listened to Clayton, and he's like, listen, I just had a bad day. It's just as plain as simple as that, and I got to prepare better. So I, I don't think it was more than anything. That rain delay thing you just brought up, though, Josh, as you said it, I sort of got a uh, shiver down my spine because <laughs> I wish I could go back in my MLB betting history. Now, some of this might be confirmation bias, but I'm pretty sure it's not. And if I went through the number of games I've bet throughout my life that involved a rain delay and the same starter still going and therefore my bet being locked in, I probably have a career like 1-17 record. It just never it never seems to go my way. That messes with bets, I think, more than anything. Um, I don't like it. Yeah. You, you, I, if I could get off those bets, I would always get off them. It's funny that I'm always on the wrong side like you of how it actually turns out because it still has to be played. But anytime there's a rain delay bet, if I'm on it, if I can get off the bet, I would. By the way, uh, th- this thing with you know just action and not listed pitchers, that you know Mets betters yesterday were faced with the situation. It didn't end up happening because the game got uh, the game got postponed. But imagine people with action yesterday who who spent the minus two fifty on Degrom and were locked into that bet. Um, on the Mets yesterday, thankfully for them, it didn't happen. Um, that game postponed totally. So there's you know, again, you gotta. I, I'm you know, rain delays are one thing when you have listed pitchers, and that's one little quirk over the years. But I'd, I'd much prefer doing that than I would betting some of these action given some of these numbers. You should never. I would go so far as to say you should never bet like minus two hundred north of minus two hundred action at any time because of possibilities. Um, Let me ask you a question real yeah. quick with the Dodgers because they're obviously four and twelve, I think, in their last sixteen. They're struggling. Recently, overall, you look at the record; it's still fine. They've scored the second most runs in baseball, and their team ERA is probably third best. I think. What What is it about this team that's losing? I mean, are they not holding games late? Is it they don't know how to win one run games? Can they not? Is it not situational baseball? If we don't outscore you by a lot, we can't win. Because if you look at the overall numbers, it's they're still pretty consistent or did we have way too many runs scored early and lately we can't do anything. Yeah. I just, I also think it's, they're, they're not getting it all at the same time, right? If so the top of the order is hitting the bottom, gotcha. the bottom, you know, you have these nights where you're like, Oh, that bottom of the order doesn't scare me at all. And then there's, there's days where it's like Pollock, right. And Beatty doing things and the top of the order goes dormant. And then there's the pen. I mean, let's take that game today, Josh Cubs are plus plus one fifty ish plus one forty eight. Uh Al Saleh against Bueller. What's your instinct here? Cubs got some early money. It well again when when the Dodgers are winning and losing at the at the clip that they are right now, it's hard to back them. And and then you start to see these lines come down. I mean Walker Buehler is always good. He seems to always give them a chance. And and the Dodgers lineup is slowly starting to get healthy, but then it takes time to gel as well. And you always have those concerns inside the clubhouse, whether external or internal. Why are we losing? What can I do to do better? Am I not doing my job? And so, you know, you sit and ponder these questions in your locker as an individual. 
um, and you try not to overlook them too much, but you want to step up and do your thing. So, I mean, I get how the line comes down. The Cubs have started to swing it a little bit better. Um, I mean, just based on the overall view of this game, I mean, I would have to be on Walker Buehler's side. At some point, you would think the Dodgers are going to snap out of this. Uh, and then there's got to be a pride issue when you get swept by the Cubs in a, you know two seven-inning games the day before. You would hope. By the way, uh, what do you like today? Shohei Otani, minus 125, hosting the Rays. What do you like? Do you like that or something else? I actually like the Rays. Uh, I mean, I'm not in love with it, but when Tampa starts to roll, they start to roll. Shohei Otani, obviously very good, but you know how deep is he really going to go? And if they can become a Tampa's not really a patient team again, if they can become patient, you know, he's that split, he's going to bounce out of the zone a lot. So I, I just think that if Tampa continues to play baseball the way they've been, I think that they can outrain this. So I, I like Tampa a little bit in that game. Um, the line's probably too high, but I like the Padres as well. Padres as well. Padres coming off that loss to the Pirates last night, two to one loss as big favorites. You Darvish minus two thirty in that one tonight against Brew Baker. Yeah. And Kittredge for the Rays at plus 115, let's call it, consensus against Otani. Josh, appreciate it, man. Um, let's talk more. Appreciate it, man. Let's do it. Josh All Towers, right, everybody, to you. from VEASAN. A gentleman who once said to me when we were about to uh, go on an MGM show that I used to do with Jay Rudy said, listen, Biatch, you're not going to outdress me. Except he didn't use that word quite that way. <laughs> we'll come back. Jason Weingarten's got thoughts. Again, uh, things you should bet right now. He's got a thought on AL MVP and NL Cy Young. On the other side, numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network.